1: Welcome, you're listening to The Best of Investing. I'm your host, Edward Brown, along with my co-host, Mark Honf of Pacific Private Money. Our phone number is 888-912-1190. Use that number to answer the trivia questions for a five-pack tanning certificate given away during this show. And that certificate's not sponsored by the radio station, but by Tan Bella Tanning Salon with two locations in San Francisco and one in Marin. Today's trivia theme is, uh, as it usually is, Random Trivia got to keep you in suspenders there. And today we have a special guest Elizabeth Rest who is an attorney and she's going to discuss trademarks uh, and patents even though she's not a patent attorney because we want to know the difference between you know trademarks and patents and um, copyrights. So uh, Elizabeth, welcome to the best of investing. Thank you so much for having me All right so well, first question is you know what's the difference between a trademark, a copyright and a patent?
2: So there are several different types of intellectual property that I'm sure that you've heard of and that you're familiar with. The three that you just named are the most common. So trademarks are any name, symbol, color, um, slogan that identifies the source of a product or a service. So the main function of a trademark is to designate one person's goods or services from another.
1: And is that where we see, like, the little R in the That's circle? exactly right. Okay. The little
2: R is specifically for trademarks. You may That's also true. see a little TM, too, and sometimes a little SM. So, you know, the, the little R in the circle is, is specified for certain trademarks. So huh. um, you'll start noticing them now that I've mentioned. <laughs> gotcha, <laughs> uh, gotcha. But, yeah, the, um, right, and then copyrights are for original works of authorship. So think about okay. works of art, movies. Books, paintings, things like that, um, and patents are very specifically for new and novel inventions. So think about it as a scientific discovery or invention.
1: All right, and uh, and you specialize in uh, in trademarks, and right. and you say that uh, I remember off air you were telling me that a lot of uh, attorneys don't do multiple segments of that i know the, the average person we think of you know trademarks copyrights patents you know it's all in the same genre but apparently it's different
2: it's very different and you'll hear people say you know i'm an intellectual property attorney. yes if you would ask me i'd probably say that because that's mm. what most people understand but there are very distinct differences and usually people that do patent law attorneys that practice in that area only do patent law and then attorneys that practice and trademark do all the other types so you know trademarks copyrights trade dress and then trade secrets which i didn't mention is another oh, yeah. area of oh. um, intellectual property and usually those attorneys are completely separate or, well. or
1: trade language like Trump tried to get you're fired remember that he tried no, to was, he
2: was trying to get that as a trademark yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's no, no. So Elizabeth I have a question for you yeah. what
3: about people who so, so I know there's a process you probably talk about that of, of how do you trademark like a phrase for example you typically will see a phrase like in an advertisement and it will say TM next to it sure and I have heard in you know, the course of my career that you know, if we do advertising, and we come up with a little slogan or something, we should just put a TM there anyway, even if we don't actually legally trademark it. Are there any legal benefits to someone putting the little symbol TM next to something that they're placing on an advertisement for, uh, that the public can see?
2: Sure, absolutely it, it sort of depends on what it is, so I don't want to make a blanket statement that's such an attorney right. answer. you know it depends, <laughs> but sure. that's actually right. true, and the reality is if it's something really generic, like you just mentioned i'm you know you're fired. that's not something you're ever going to be able to claim exclusive rights to um mm-hmm. you know and and another one Paris Hilton, for example, tried to get a trademark for the phrase "That's hot." And that's another example of something where, you know, Shimei started using it or Trump, you know, obviously used You're Fired in his television show. Let's say they were to put out an advertisement in print and said, You're Fired in big, bold print, and they wanted to put a little TM next to it. You can absolutely do that without applying for a registration. And it shows the world that you are claiming rights in that slogan or in that word or in that phrase. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually mean that it's a valid right. It now the thing is, can you? you claim.
1: What if you were to put an R? Because R means registered, right?
2: Yeah, you can only use the little R in the circle, which is called the notice, the trademark notice, once you have a registration. So that's okay. the key. You can use the TM, which is for trademark, or SM, which is for service mark. Um, you can right. use that from the minute you start using a name or a word or a slogan or a symbol. But what's but a, sur- what's the a service for? A service, so trademarks are protect goods or services. So let's say that I'm a winery and I sell wine. A wine is my product. So I can get a trademark because that's a good. But I also have a tasting room where people can come and visit. And I also have a wine club. I'm offering services to the public under my same mark. So that's a service. Hmm. And you can generically refer to them all as trademarks, but the little TM and the little SM are to designate goods or services.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So you just can't use the R unless you actually register it. That's right. And what is the process for, we got a minute before we have to kind of cut the break here and we'll continue on, but what is the process for obtaining a trademark registration? Can I do it myself?
2: A lot of people think that they can do it themselves. And there is a lot of um, websites where you can go to, but obtaining a trademark registration is deceptively easy. It's essentially a form that you file. But what you need to understand are all of the intricacies and all of the nuances of trademark law. Understand what can be protected before you move forward.
1: Gotcha. Okay, all right. We are going to cut to our uh, first commercial uh, break. We're talking random trivia here. I um, say this one's a fairly easy question, right? Uh, we always like to start off with an easy one, kind of tease the audience, and then we'll uh, get into the harder ones later. Um, so here's our first trivia question: Who was the first Republican president of the United States? So remember, we used to, in the old days we used to have the Whigs, you know, and, and all that, and then they came. I just up- said this was easy. Yep. Yeah, uh, well, maybe, okay, maybe it's not so easy, all right? Call uh, 888-912-1190. You'd be the first caller with the correct answer. You're going to win that tanning certificate, which is worth over $100. Uh, so, again, here's the trivia question. Uh, who was the first Republican president of the United States? And stay with us. You're listening to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown and Mark Honf and our special guest, Elizabeth Rest, to uh, discuss uh, trademarks. Don't touch that down. We'll be right back.
0: For more information on today's topic, call Edward Brown directly at 888-912-1190. That's 888-912-1190. The Best of Investing will continue in a moment on AM 1220 KDOW. Now, back to The Best of Investing with your host, Edward Brown, on AM 1220
1: KDOW. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Mark Hahn and our special guest, Elizabeth rest who's an attorney uh okay here's our first trivia question uh who was the first republican president of the united states lincoln yes good old lady ah. lincoln very good that's why, <laughs> that's why i figured it was easy because was an easy president to remember not like zachary taylor or someone like that you know john tyler or taft or, or taft <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your
2: favorite <laughs>
1: <laughs> my favorite obscure president is taft <laughs> I uh, always vote for Taft. Yeah, he was, uh, he was uh, for as much as he weighed, he was a president and a half. Um, <laughs> like 300 and some pounds. So anyway, uh, Elizabeth, you uh, specialize in trademark uh, att- attorneyism, I guess. Uh, Mark, you, you were going to ask, uh, ask her. Yeah, so you um, we were just talking about like a lot of people
3: will, you know, try this at home. There's so many things you can do online with LegalZoom, et cetera. And I would imagine a lot of your uh, of your practice is, um, defending like trademark violations, you know, what, uh, what, what typically, well, describe a typical situation, uh, where you're helping a client where they're claiming some kind of trademark violation.
2: Sure. You know, that can act absolutely run the gamut, but the most common are counterfeiting where someone is, you know, just absolutely copying, making your product and selling mm. it as if it were real. Um, you know, you've all heard of the fake Chanel bags and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's counterfeiting. So there's, there's definitely a lot of work in that area. Um, and then the other mm-hmm. one is where someone will have a trademark um, and they come out with a product or a service that's a competing product or service with a very similar name.
1: So, so in other words, Coke has the real thing and someone else comes up with it's almost the real thing.
2: Yeah, well, that would be pretty clear. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of nuances in this. And there is the, the standard in trademark law is a likelihood of confusion. So you don't actually have to show that consumers are confused. But what you have to show in order to show that there's an infringement of your trademark is that consumers are likely to be confused.
1: I mean that's very subjective. Uh, what it do you is do? It's very to-
2: subjective, and um, trademark law as a whole is very subjective, and yeah. you know much to the um, chagrin of a lot of trademark practitioners and and a lot of brand owners as well. Um, well. But you know there are standards.
1: So I've I've heard from people who were trying to get patents. They were a little nervous. In some cases, their attorney told them, Don't go for a patent because all you've done is open yourself up for someone to do a little bit of tweaking and then try to, Mm. then they can do it on their own legally. Um, Is the same thing with uh, a trademark? Do you open yourself up to someone stealing it?
2: Not necessarily. With a with the patent, you can reverse engineer a, a scientific discovery, and if you've come up with it yourself, you haven't infringed. Yeah. So you know there, there's a lot of um, sort of wiggle room with regard to patents. And like you said, someone can just change one little tiny thing and potentially come up with a new product. With trademarks, because of this likelihood of confusion standard, if you look at you know, let's say that the goods are completely different. You know, let's say the trademark is trademark, which of course would never be allowed, but let's just use yeah. that as an example. And my product is selling, you know, produce, apples, oranges, etc. And someone came out with a co- another company and they wanted to call it trademark and they were selling air conditioning. Well, I probably wouldn't have room to protest because there's not likely to be any confusion in the marketplace. So you look at both, Confusion as to the market itself okay. and as to the goods and services. Likewise, if someone were to come up with another produce company and they wanted to call it trademark, I'd probably have an argument there. Gotcha. They haven't used my and, mark. And isn't,
1: yeah. And isn't there, there certain rules about using the words like United States versus, you know, US. There's a lot of
2: rules. Yeah, there's a lot of rules. You can't use flags. You can't use certain mm. people's names. Um, presidents, for example, going back to your trivia question, um, there's a lot of rules of what you can and can't use in a trivia.
1: You know, it's funny. There was uh, an old Sergeant Bilko episode. This is talking in the 1950s where this guy, was. he was named Conrad Hilton. And so, or, or, or I'm sorry, no, he, or, he was named some, uh, some other one. Uh, or no, no no, I'm sorry he was named Conrad Hilton. <laughs> and so he opened up um, out. <laughs> out yeah and figured out a way to like use his name and go, hey, legally his name is Hilton and and, right. people, and then Hilton basically settled with with him for that. Right. Uh, no, and that, that
2: actually happens and there's a rule in trademark law where you can't get a trademark if your mark is what they call primarily a surname. So Smith, for example, because oh, it would gotcha. be fair to everyone out there in the world named Smith who all yeah. of a sudden couldn't use their name.
1: So he decided to change that the name is. to Rockefeller. But go ahead. Yes. <laughs> Does anyone ever
3: um – Trademark like a company name, like for example, you can do a, obviously a fictitious business statement, which I did when I first founded Pacific Private Money, then I incorporated it in California, but I've always kind of wondered if I should, if I really wanted to protect that, you know, nationwide, is there something more I should do for the name Pacific Private Money? And is it typical that you take a business name and register it or trademark it or, or how do you protect that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We, um, y- you know, I highly recommend getting a trademark registration for business names, so long as you're oh. using it as a trademark. And that's sort of the the catch, you know, if my business name is, you know, whatever it is, you know, LLC, but I do business as something else, which a lot of people do that there, they don't do business mm-hmm. as their corporate or LLC name, I can't get a trademark for um, what my company name is but if you're using it to provide goods or services to the public you should absolutely get a trademark administration and the key is in the U.S. you have to be doing business in interstate commerce so that means you know across state lines business between states, something like that
1: mm-hmm. and so how okay. do uh, how do businesses protect themselves from counterfeiters
2: Well, there's a lot of ways that you can, and it sort of depends on the level of counterfeiting. So for one, if you're talking about, you know, huge, and I, you know, hate to say this, but the big countries where counterfeiting is happening are China and Brazil. And so if you are dealing, yeah, I know it's everyone always is surprised by Brazil. But um, so one of the things you can do is register your trademarks with customs, and it's very, very cheap. And then what will happen <laughs> is anytime goods or services cross through customs, they will check their trademark list. And if goods come in that look suspicious to them, I'll pull them out, and they'll call the trademark owner and notify them and say, hey, are these legitimate? Should we let this across the board?
1: Wow, okay. Then,
2: hey, it's a great service. So, And you can do that in almost every jurisdiction in the world.
1: Very cool. Yeah, there's got to be some international uh, laws like that. Yeah, um, so one thing you should
2: – j- sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say trademark rights are jurisdictional, and everybody forgets that. So let's say you have a registration in the U.S. You have no protection in Europe, China, you know, anywhere else. You have to get registrations in every country where you operate.
1: Okay. And, uh, Elizabeth, before we let, let you go, uh, why don't you get out your information so the audience, if they have any questions about trademarks, they can get a hold of you
2: yeah absolutely so my name is Elizabeth Rest and my firm is Crown LLP in San Francisco our website is www.crownllp.com and my email address is elizabeth at crownllp.com
1: which I assume you trademarked before you uh, got it we oh, do have I'm a trademark
2: <laughs> for, <me too. laughs> for legal services
1: <laughs> yeah that, would, that wouldn't look good if someone uh, ripped off no, the, especially
2: the you know. branding firm <laughs>
1: Okay, we're going to cut to our second uh, trivia question. What is the hottest planet? Now, you only have eight to choose from because Pluto, uh, unfortunately, lost its planet status, must have done something wrong. Uh, Call 888-912-1190 to answer this question. What is the hottest planet? All right, stay with us. You are listening to The Best of Investing. We are going to be right back. Don't touch that dial.
0: You're listening to The Best of Investing with your host, Edward Brown. For more information, visit bestofinvesting.com. That's bestofinvesting.com. More in a moment on AM 1220 KDOW. You're listening to the best of investing on AM 1220 KDOW. Once again, your host, Edward Brown.
1: Welcome back to the best of investing. Edward Brown here along with Mark Homp. Second trivia question What is the hottest planet?
3: Well, our previous guest uh, actually she guessed
1: Mercury. I guessed Saturn. I just randomly, and it's uh, no. and, the, and the answer is Venus. And it's because the atmosphere helps retain much of the sun's heat. Because you'd think it'd be Mercury wow. being closest to the sun, but um, yeah. yeah, I don't even want to know how hot it is. But it's probably like 700 degrees or something crazy. Yeah, that, yeah. That, well, <laughs> there you go. That no, that was hard, but you got that one. All right, so, uh, Mark, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff going on in the, in the real estate market. I mean, it's kind of on fire, isn't it? Yeah, you know,
3: we're going through a really rough patch right now as a society in, in uh, you know, nationwide. And, and in California here, you know, I get two papers every morning at home, uh, the Marin Independent Journal and the San Francisco Chronicle and not a day goes by that the headlines are, aren't you know everything and all there is uh that you, uh for covid and yeah. um you know we're we're experiencing a spike uh you're seeing charts and graphs where um it looked like we had flattened the curve and then all of a sudden boom it's just exploded again and um you know Marin County uh, uh the headlines were we had the highest rate of infection um which really is a little bit misleading Um, because, uh, we, um, have such a small population and there's a lot of testing going on here. So it just, you know, it's just funny. I have to keep telling my wife, you know, stop reading the headlines because, you know, first of all, the people that wrote the article don't usually write the headlines. The headlines are written by the editors because they want to draw eyeballs. But if you, all you do is read right. headlines all day long, you know, and God help you if you uh, read the Drudge report, because, you know, it's got, you know, 50 headlines from across the world that would just make you want to crawl back in bed. But how many people,
1: so, you know, it, with all of this, I mean, sorry? It, what, what, would, he, would we have like 50 cases? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't really that large. It went from like 35 to 50. So it's like, oh my yeah. gosh, it's 70, it's 50% increase, but. Well,
3: and again, you know, we're talking, you know, and again, I don't want to make this show about Marin County because, you know, we're a Bay, this is a Bay area um, radio show, but you know, the Bay area, you know, now we're seeing businesses being asked to to close again that we're, that we're preparing to open. And I guess the point I'm trying to make, and this is not, you know, I'm I'm not saying anything new or novel that anybody doesn't know is there's there's a lot of economic hardship going on right now, Mm -hmm. but within that economic hardship, there, there, there are areas where industries, certain industries, are doing actually rather well and i happen to be blessed uh, at pacific private money to be in a lending space where demand really didn't go down all that much it did go down uh, we, year over year our company is is down for the first time in 10 years uh, we're, we're not experiencing year over year growth year to date uh, and that's because Uh, a lot of the loans that we've had in the pipeline never actually closed. The transactions didn't happen. People backed out. So, um, but still, we've, we've stayed open. We're advertising. And what's interesting right now is our, our loan, uh, pipeline, uh, the loan application pipeline of loans that we've green lighted and we've collected applications. It's at, it's about, it's as high as it's been, uh, all year um, close to $30 million, which for us is a pretty, what we call a fat pipe. So, um, and in the realtor, in the real estate industry, we talk to realtors all the time in the last couple of weeks, what I'm hearing is, is that the real estate market in the Bay area is on fire things that go uh, that are well-priced and listed are getting multiple offers again. And that reflects the fact that in the Bay area, as much as like, as much as California, we have limited inventory. And, um, of course the newspaper will tell you that, you know, uh, you know, listings are down year over year. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, fewer homes are on the market, uh, and much fewer homes are on the market than in, you know, really strong years where lots of homes, it, it was robust, Marketplace uh, um, and uh, fewer homes, but those fewer homes are are going quickly. So it's still, for the most part, a seller's market throughout California and particularly in the Bay Area. It's not a buyer's market. We didn't have the 30 uh, percent, 20 to 30 percent decline in real estate values that a lot of people were fearful of back in March. Uh, uh, Well, half were fearful and the other half were hopeful, right? Yeah, yeah. For opportunities.
1: So so why don't you think, you know, with the fact that uh, the virus, uh, you know, not dissipating yet and potentially increasing, why has real estate stayed up? Well, the real estate industry has gotten really creative
3: in an effort to uh, be be able to take what was largely a very hands-on and personal experience and and put it online and, and make it so that you can do virtual tours. You can um, get a loan without ever having to visit a bank or or a mortgage broker. You can do everything online and over the phone. And you can have notaries come by uh, wearing a mask and sign the loan documents. In mm-hmm. fact, loan applications. Uh, I bank. I happen to bank with Wells Fargo, and I was reading a, a an internal memo that. Uh, where they well, actually, it's not an internal memo. It was, it was released <laughs> to the public. They, uh, they're now only taking jumbo loan refinances. And then again, jumbo loans are pretty common in the Bay area. Uh, they're only taking jumbo loan refinance applications if you have a million dollars or more in their bank. So they're really, and that's up from $250,000. Yeah. And, uh, but still, still they're you know, they're, they're, um, uh, I forgot what the, uh, the stat was, I didn't write it down, but they are, um, They're they're exploding in refinance
1: applications. Year over year, who have a million dollars in their bank in their bank. Yeah. That's, yeah. amazing. Well, that's the way that, So th- that's their way of slowing down uh, yeah. the rate
3: of refinance applications because I just refinanced my home and I'm about to sign loan documents this week. It took a few months to do it because I'm, you know, I own my, own my own company and I've got complicated yeah. financials. So you know, it's taken the better part of 90 days to, to refinance my home, but I locked in a 3% rate and oh, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing. So that's, uh, so I'm pretty happy about that. Um, Uh, Give a shout out to Wells Fargo there, who I know have had a lot of bad press lately, but uh, there are a lot of fine people that work for that bank and they have among the lowest uh, rates that you're going to find for jumbo loan products. If you can get your application in, which now looks like it's going to be a little bit tough, but, you know, again, just the the point of of this segment really is just, is to say that, um, you know, we're in a business at Pacific Private Money, you know, Edward, where you and I are raising capital from private individuals. Uh, who we use that capital to lend that money out, and to thank them for the use of their capital, we pay them seven to eight percent return on their money. And uh, and and we're, I'm here to tell you that the real estate industry, the lending industry, the the purchasing industry
1: is is very strong right now in the Bay Area. All right, when we come back, Okay, we when we come back, we're going to get into more of that. I'm sure the audience wants to know how they can very conservatively earn over seven percent, closer to even seven and a half percent. All right. uh, Third trivia question. Uh, What is Aladdin's monkey friend named? What was his name? Remember in the uh, cartoon where uh, uh, Robin Williams was? uh... I saw the movie a lot, but I don't know that I can remember the name. I'll have to think about that uh, during the commercial break. All right. Call 888-912-1190. The first uh, caller with the correct answer is going to win that tanning certificate. Stay with us. The best of investing is going to be right
0: back. For more information on today's topic, call Edward Brown directly at 888-912-1190. That's 888-912-1190. The Best of Investing will continue in a moment on AM 1220 KDOW. Now, back to the Best of Investing with your host, Edward Brown on AM 1220
1: KDOW. Welcome back to the Best of Investing. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Mark Nompon. It's off today. Uh, third trivia question. What is Aladdin's monkey friend called? What's his name? Badu? I don't, I don't Close. know. Close. Abu. And not... Abu, Abu, that's right. Yeah, and not Apu. I had it flipped. Like, and not Apu, like in The Simpsons where he says, please do not feed peanuts to my God. Remember that? He tries, <laughs> tries to feed it to the uh, fake elephant. I love that one. Over. Um, okay, oh, so good. when we uh, cut to break, uh, we had uh, teased the audience a little bit with the fact that your company is paying its investors, a little over 7%, 7 7.5% actually, a little more like it. Um, How do people get involved? What's the deal with that? Well, just uh, again, a tiny bit of background on that. You know, we talked
3: last segment about how the the real estate industry is strong. Uh, banking is uh, remained fairly strong. Demand for mortgages and refinances have remained fairly strong. And strong is relative. Strong relative to the number of houses that are transacting in the Bay Area and in California, uh, and the number of listings that are that are coming back onto the market. Um, there's just a lot of activity happening in in real estate in, in the Bay Area and California right now. A lot of activity. A lot of strong activity. Prices are stable and as we all know, mortgage rates are as low as they've ever been and 3% mortgages are not difficult to obtain uh, both through banks and from other, you know, non-bank, non-agency loan programs. There's just a lot of 3% money out there right now um, if you qualify for it. So, um, but if you don't qualify for it, and this is where we come in, uh, if you're self-employed and you struggle to prove your income or you're self-employed and you write off everything. So you show virtually no income, which is great, but there's always a cost to that and the cost. To, for those of you who have a business or you're self-employed and you write everything off is you don't have to pay taxes, but guess what? You, you don't, you're not entitled to get 3% money because banks insist that you actually make money and pay taxes, unfortunately, in addition to having a good, a good credit score. Um, there's a lot of people out there who are transacting that, uh, um, you know, don't qualify for that kind of money and, um, they need, uh, they want to buy property and they need a tool, a funding tool to be able to purchase property. And then given time, they can massage their finances in a way that will allow them to get, um, financing it might not be 3% but it might be 4 or 5% Uh, our money at Pacific private money we rent out uh, to borrowers uh, closer to 9% uh, in this particular market but it's generally used uh, uh, like bridge financing basically bridge meaning short-term and they uh, they use our money to be able to purchase property that they have a plan for whether they're going to move do it and then refinance it down the line maybe they need four or five or six months to do that uh, or they're going to improve the property and flip it uh, there's just a number of reasons why they they use uh, you know what used to be called hard money still called hard money in some circles uh, we call it private money private money or alternative fast alternative financing and and uh, so when people come to us, we evaluate their, their credit worthiness. We look at the property we look at their exit strategy, which is what we call, how are you going to pay us back? You're going to refinance or you're going to sell the property. You got to yet one of those two things has to be part of the plan because we're really not 30 year money, you know, or, or 10 year money. We're really, you know, one, you know, one year money, six months money, one year, 18 months, 24 months. Uh, that's the, you know, 90% of the loans we make are paid off in less than two years, you know, and probably, a third of the loans we make are paid off in six months. <clears throat> so we, uh, we charge 9% on average for our money for our first position loans. And all of that money is sourced privately. It's from accredited investors, which in the Bay Area is a fairly you know reasonable bar to achieve. It doesn't uh, take much for many Bay Area. Um, you know, there's a, and I guess I'm, what I'm trying to say is there's a high percentage of Bay Area residents who are considered accredited, where they have at least a a million dollar net worth. And um, those those investors uh, are, you know, we call them retail investors because they're kind of your everyday investor. They got several million dollars uh, in savings. It's their retirement savings. And they're looking to increase the yield that they're able to generate uh, the weighted average yield. They'll have some in stocks, they'll have some in bonds, they'll have some in annuities. And many of them have learned over the years that the alternative investment realm, which is what uh, You know, we at Pacific Private Money are considered, they've learned that, wow, you can make investments that are backed by mortgages. And since all we do when we lend money out of Pacific private money, we only make mortgages. That's, that's the only thing we do is is mortgage backed loans and, uh, we charge 9% and we typically pay our investors, um, something below that, below a fee, whether it's a servicing yield or a management fee. Uh, and there's several ways that people invest with us. We have now we now have three funds at Pacific Private Money. We have our our uh, Legacy Fund, the Pacific Private Money Fund, which we launched in 2013. That's been paying uh, close to eight percent now for seven years straight. And then we've got uh, two new funds that we just launched. One's the North Star Capital Fund, uh, which we've got, uh, we've got now we've, we're up to uh, uh, $2 million. I think we just hit the $2 million mark on that one, and we just launched it 30 days ago. And that one's going to pay between 8 and 10% based on construction loans that we have found to be in rather high demand. Uh, and we've got some specialists who understand how to underwrite construction loans and those, uh, so we're pretty excited about that to be able to help uh, builders who are still rebuilding a lot of the fire destroyed homes uh, in Sonoma and Napa counties. And then the third fund we have is one that uh, I'm probably most excited about because it really allows us to uh, extend our business model much more effectively, and that is what we call the Freedom Fund. And the Freedom Fund is a, uh, it's, it's designed similarly to other funds with one exception is that we don't enforce the lockup period. So we allow people to put money in. There's a $250,000 minimum for that particular fund. Um, but we don't have a, we don't have the one year or extended lockup period, nor do we enforce a penalty for early withdrawal. Uh, it is a, uh, a, a, you know, a Reg D fund. However, we, um, we use that money to basically close loans that we're going to sell to third parties. So we, use, it's like a where, we treat it like a warehouse line of credit for, for our
1: purposes. And how, long, how large is that fund right now?
3: that funds about three and a half million right now. And we're not looking to make, we're not looking to grow that fund too large. We're looking to work with maybe 10 to 15 million uh, because we've we've identified some new clients that like to buy the loans that we originate because they love that, you know, they love that yield that they're able to uh, make, to get. And so we, um, so the Freedom Fund, and we pay a flat 7% and that's, uh, so it's, it, it acts like a money market account, although it's not a money market account, it's still a mortgage pool fund, but we only uh, close loans in that fund that we're gonna sell off within 30 days. So it's like a warehouse line, we clear it every couple of weeks. And so we've got uh, 7% if you just want to park your money uh, somewhere, $250,000 or more, maybe you're, you know, you're holding, you, you want it to be relatively liquid because you want to buy real estate uh, or you want to make other investments, but you don't want to earn zero while it's sitting in the bank. It's a way for you to earn a nice yield on money that you'd prefer to keep liquid. North Star Capital Fund for those who don't get too excited by a seven and a half, seven and three quarter percent yield. They want to be a little bit more aggressive and we're, we're really working hard to, to try to get that yield on the North Star Capital Fund uh, above 9% in, in, in our first year so we can prove the model. Uh, or if you just love stability, and you, you appreciate the track record, the seven-year track record of a fund like Pacific Private Money Fund. Uh, we pay 7.5%. For more information on all of this stuff, we've got landing pages on all three funds at PacificPrivateMoney.com. Click the invest page,
1: PacificPrivateMoney.com. Click invest. All right, stay with us. The Best of Investing will be right back with some closing comments and deal of the week.
0: You're listening to The Best of Investing with your host, Edward Brown. For more information, visit bestofinvesting.com. That's bestofinvesting.com. More in a moment on AM 1220 KDOW. You're listening to the Best of Investing on AM 1220 KDW. Once again, your host, Edward Brown.
1: Welcome back to the Best of Investing. Last time for today, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Mark Hunt. Nomphan is off today. Uh, we already finished our trivia question. So um, you know, interesting. I'd I mentioned this deal of the week uh, probably about a month ago. The the interesting thing is when people hear about how expensive the money is to borrow, you know, nine percent and a couple of points, whatever. And they why would I, why would anyone want to borrow that? You know, especially if they can they can get from the bank. Well, the interesting situation was that this one couple had wanted to move from one house to another, and they could qualify for a bank loan. But it was, they, their offer that they were going to put in was going to have to be pretty close to asking, if not above, because there was a competing offer. But because Pacific Private Money was able to help them uh, come up with money in 11 days, it appeared like they were going to put in an all-cash offer technically it wasn't right, a cash, we call it mimicking a cash mimicking offer mimicking a cash offer what, exactly
3: uh, you know realtors get to mimic a cash offer with our with our commitment
1: our loan commitment Ex- exactly and as it turns out the sellers decided to accept their offer uh, even though it was $75,000 less because it was very very clean and it was going to close in 11 days the other offer was $75,000 higher but it was going to take your typical 30 45 days or more and you never know so, in this case, it actually made sense for the, the client, the borrower, to pay a, a high rate of interest and points, and they still save money because they, of the fact that they saved seventy five thousand dollars and because there's no prepayment penalty on it, uh, they refinanced in about three months.: So we say all the time that many times our
3: money pays for itself and to the average person who doesn't really think it through, they go, Oh, that's, that's, that's crazy. You know, I don't want to, you know, they just, they get sticker shock from 9% and two points, which is 20,000 on a million dollar loan. And they think, why would anybody pay that? Oh, that's usury. I mean, we've heard all of the objections from people who just, don't really think it through. And yet you just provided an example of someone who actually made money yep. they got the, not only did they get the house they want, but they got it for $75,000 less than the other guy because they had a very, very clean offer. Their realtor understood that with hard money, we had, a, we had a commitment there to fund that loan and close quickly. So they were able to close in a relatively aggressive time period, less than two weeks. The, the, the seller was thrilled because the, the sell, seller is like a sure thing yeah. and if you have a clean offer with, with few or no contingencies and the number one contingency that always makes a seller nervous is the financing contingency. <laughs> if you have no financing contingency and the only contingency you have are inspections and reports. Then you know, and the seller knows what he's what he's selling, and he's confident that it's not that the reports will be clean and the inspection will be fine. Then you really have you know what what amounts to a no non contingent sale, and you know your seller as a buyer you can offer less and often win the deal.
1: Well, especially now with things being as crazy as they are with the economy and lenders, yeah. you know people don't oh, know yeah. if they're actually going to get their loan. You know, and if I were selling real estate today. Right. If I were
3: selling real estate today and it were a similar situation that you just pointed out, I would discount for a sure thing. I absolutely would. Um, You know, it's just not worth waiting 45 days to find out that, oh, something happened and they're not qualifying and now they need another 30 day extension. You're sitting there going, I made plans. (laughs) So it's it's really hard. All right. One more time. One more time. time. (laughs) So I didn't give out my phone number yet. Uh, We're in the uh, Bay Area here at 415-883-2150. That's 415-883-2150. Call and ask questions. You know, we have a really friendly staff and we love talking about um, how we make money for our clients in this business. So if you're a realtor and you're looking to um, get more information on how you can use uh, our bridge loans as a tool, we work with a lot of realtors uh, if you 're an investor looking for uh, more information about how you can make you know seven eight nine percent on your money. Uh, again, call us at 415-883-2150 or go to our website,
1: PacificPrivateMoney.com. All right. Here's our thoughts for the day. I'm at the age where an all-nighter just means that I didn't have to go, get up to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, if I won the award for laziness, uh, I would just send somebody to pick it up for me. All right. Tune in next week to the Best of Investing. We're going to be giving away more free prizes for answering trivia questions. Thanks for listening. On behalf of our team. I'm Edward Brown, wishing you the best of investing. So long.
0: You've been listening to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown. For more information on this program, call 888-912-1190. That's 888-912-1190. Or visit bestofinvesting.com. And join us again next week for The Best of Investing on the Bay Area's Business Leader.